بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد طيب إخوان as a quick recap of our previous lesson what's the difference why does the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام we're talking about our previous hadith uh, to the end of the hadith whatever I have prohibited you from then make it jtinab of it number one question, question number one what's so significant about this statement of the messenger when he says whatever I have prohibited you, prohibited you against make it jtinab of it what's the difference between saying that and saying utrukuhu What's the difference between the messenger saying, whatever I have prohibited you against, make ijtinab of it, refrain from it, and from him saying, utrukuhu, leave it. What's the difference between the two words? What does ijtinab ref uh, refer to? Ahsant barakallahu feek. So ijtinab, it's not just that you stop doing the action, that you stop doing it and you keep away from it. You distance yourself from it. It's not just that you stop doing the action, but you stop doing it and you keep away from it. You distance yourself from it. Question number two. The Messenger والسلام, made it a condition as far as fulfilling the commandments are concerned that you have to have what do you have to have ability huh? if you he says whatever I have commanded you with then do it as much as you are able so your ability is a condition for you to be able to do something why not why did he not say the same thing for the prohibitions why did he not say Whatever, whatever I have told you not to do, then keep away from it as much as you are able. You're able to not go back to an action? Yeah? By default, you are able not to do something. Give me an example. Who can give me an example? Just to make it a bit more clearer. Ah. I said don't have a drink of water very good example if I said don't have a drink of water it's easy just don't get up don't pick up the glass and don't drink it طيب. next question طيب, so if you're unable to do something in its entirety then what should you do so for example if you're unable to give a sa'a in, uh, in Eid al-Fitr, an amount of sa'a in Eid al-Fitr, what should you do? Uh, give as much as you're able. Give as much as you... doesn't mean that you don't give anything. You do what is within your ability. You can't... you only have enough water to perform uh, partial wudu. Then make as much of it, uh, make wudu as much as you are able with that water and the rest you make. Tayammum for and so on and so forth. Tayyab.
So what is the questioning of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam mentioned concerning it that the people that came before us, the Jews and the Christians, they were destroyed as a result of this questioning that they posed to their prophets. What is the questioning that is madhmoom? What is the questioning that is madhmoom? Mm, dispraised in the lifetime of the Prophet alayhi salatu salam. Okay, let me repeat the question again. Listen carefully. What is the questioning that is prohibited in the time of the Messenger alayhi salatu salam? Okay, excessive questioning. But something else, a bit more elaboration is uh, required here. We want what Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad mentioned last week. Uh. Yeah, okay, unnecessary questioning. But what did Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad say about it? Huh? The type of questioning that will what? Unnecessary questioning, that's the same thing that Ammar mentioned than his brother, Ahmed. Then it becomes fard. The one that yeah, he was prohibited in the time of the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, is the excessive questioning, the questioning which may result in something becoming an obligation and you the ummah of muhammad are gonna find it very difficult now to fulfill that obligation that now reminds me of another question that i should have asked first what is the context what's the background of this particular hadith what's the background of this hadith where the messenger والسلام, says whatever i have ordered you to do then do it as much as you're able whatever i prohibited you from then keep away from it. What's the background for this hadith? What's the context behind this hadith? Yes. Excellent. Very good. The Messenger said, he, come out, he said that perform Hajj, perform Umrah. So somebody said, every single year? And you do have to perform it every single year? And, the and he repeated the question three times. And then the Messenger made this statement. That's the background for this narration. After the death of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, after he has left this world alayhi salatu wasalam, then what is the type of questioning that is impermissible? Obviously, it isn't the other type that we mentioned before. It's not the type of questioning whereby you question the Prophet and then something becomes obligatory. Something becomes obligatory as a result of your questioning, an obligation that you're unable to bear that category is gone now because the messenger has passed away and therefore legislation has come to an end the legend the deen has been complete so after his passing away what is the type of questioning that is madhmoom dispraised oh i think you've yeah you've brought two matters together but that's good because that second matter we'll ask the brothers about that as well so jazakallah khair for that Yes, excessive questioning, detailed questioning that is unnecessary. Huh? Detailed question that is unnecessary. Asking about questions and those particular uh, 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 scenarios may never even ever occur. Question, questions that you don't have any need for. Leaving off asking those matters that are more, more important and asking questions that are, aren't that important, are less significant. Allah Jalla wa Ala, He says in the, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, 
ما يلفظ من قول إلا لديه رقيب عتيد. He doesn't utter a statement. The person does not utter a statement, except that upon him is a vigilant watcher. Mujahid, one of the commentators of the Quran, he said concerning this that everything that the slave does is written down, even his anin, even his moaning and groaning when he is in pain, when he's in sickness. So here is a statement of Allah that no statement is uttered upon the tongue of the slave except that the angel that is recording you, he's recording it down. He's, he's, he's a vigilant watcher over you, writing everything down. So now Mujahid, he says in terms of this ayah that even your anin, even your uh, moaning and your groaning when you're in pain, even that's being written down. When you're sick, even that's being written down. So now somebody comes along and he says, Akhi, what about when you yawn? What about when you burp? What about when you do this and when you do... Is there any faida behind this questioning? What the, the, fact, the fact that you should know is that you have an angel writing down every single thing that you say. So therefore be careful of what you're saying now. When you know this and you're conscious of this fact, then your statements are going to become much less now. Khalas. Take an ibra from this. Be admonished by that. As for those other questionings, when I yawn, is that written? Is there any faida behind that? Or for example, a person he says, "Oh, Achi, what's your what 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 do you what's your opinion about such and such a matter?" And he asks questions, and the only the only reason behind him asking those questions, he goes, "I just want to pass time with you. I just thought I'd ask. You know, you're here now, and I want to ask." This type of questioning is. Madhmoom, this type of questioning is, it is dispraised, or a person he asks a question just to pass time and so on and so forth. This type of questioning is madhmoom, therefore a person he asks in order to benefit. For this, re for this reason, the companions, Ridwanullah ta'ala alayhim, you see that their questioning was little. Their questioning, when the Messenger alayhi he commands them with something, he prohibits them with something. And their questioning was little. Rather, the, the thing that was greater was their tanfeed, was their execution of the commands of the Messenger When the Bedouins would come, when the Bedouins would come, and they would ask, Ya Muhammad, what do you say about this? Ya Muhammad, what is the uh, ruling on this? And so on and so forth. The companions would be attentive. The companions would be attentive, watching and li listening to the answer of the Messenger Yani they'd be waiting for the Bedouins to be asking. The companions alayhim, their questioning was little, but their implementation of the ahkam, uh, the implementation of the commands of the Messenger والسلام, was much. This again does not mean, as we mentioned last week, that the door to questioning is totally and absolutely closed. No. Otherwise, where and how can the fiqh of the deen be obtained? Questions are asked. But those questions that are relevant and those questions that a person needs and so on and so forth. So now a summary of the benefits. A summary of the benefits. So there are six benefits that Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbad he mentions. Number one. Wujubu Tark. Number one, the obligation of abandoning 
of leaving every single thing that Allah and His Messenger have made haram. Number two, number two, the obligation of doing every single thing that Allah and His Messenger has or have obligated, made an obligation. Number three, التحذير من الوقوع فيما وقع فيه أهل الكتاب مما كان سببا في هلاكهم. So in this hadith, there is a warning, a cautioning against every single thing that the people, يعني the people of the book, the Jews and the Christians, fell into, which resulted in them being destroyed, which resulted in them being destroyed. Again, number three, a warning against falling into what the people of the book fell into. Those matters that they fell into, which resulted in their destruction. Number four, the fourth benefit that we derive from this narration. أَنَّهُ لَا يَجِبْ عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ أَكْثَرْ مِمَّا يَسْتَطِيعِ A person is not obligated. He is not obligated with anything that is beyond his ability. Anything that is more than what he is able to do. Number five. أَنَّ مَنْ عَجِزَ عَنْ بَعْضِ الْمَأْمُورِ كَفَاهُ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ بِمَا قَدِرَ عَلَيْهِ مِنْهُ So number five, the one that is unable to, to do something in its entirety, then he suffices and it is sufficient for him to do whatever he is able to do of it, even though it's not 100%, even though it's not in its entirety. Number six, الاقتصار في المسائل على ما يحتاج إليه وترك التنطع والتكلف في المسائل That a person, he should limit himself to asking those questions that he is in need of, the answers that he is in need of and to leave off going into excessive detail uh, and asking questions that are يعني, of going into excessive and unnecessary detail Excessive and unnecessary detail. طيب. Any of those six points need repeating? Number four. Who's got number four? Who has number four? Put your hand up if you've got number four. Sheikh uh, Rafan. A person is number four. A person is not obligated with things that are beyond his ability. طيب. So now we'll move on to Hadith Al-Ashir The 10th Hadith The 10th Hadith طيب. So this Hadith here Is a Hadith of Abi Hurairat Radiallahu ta'ala Anhu That the Messenger Alayhi salatu wasalam Said Inna Allah ta'ala Tayyibun La yiqbalu illa tayyiba Wa inna Allah Amara al-mu'minin Bima amara bihi al-mursaleen Indeed, Allah the Most High is tayyib, is good, is pure. لا يقبل إلا طيبا He does not accept anything other than what is good and pure. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ أَمَرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ بِمَا أَمَرَ بِهِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ And indeed Allah has ordered the believers with what He ordered the messengers. فَقَالَ يَا أَيُّهَا الرُّسُلُ 
كلوا من الطيبات واعملوا صالحا الآية Oh messengers eat from the goodly things and work righteously وقال تعالى and Allah said يا أيها الذين آمنوا Oh you who believe كلوا من طيبات ما رزقناكم Eat from the goodly matters that we have provided you with ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ الرَّجُلَ Then the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam mentioned a man يَطِيلُ السَّفَرُ Who has been journeying for a long time. He's on a, he's on a long journey. أَشْعَثَ أَغْبَرُ his, his hair is disheveled and dusty. يَمُدُّ يَدَيْهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ He extends his hands out to the sky. يَا رَبِّ يَا رَبِّ Meaning he says... O Rabbi, O يعني, oh my Lord, O oh my Lord. وَمَطْعَمُهُ حَرَامٌ And his eating, his food that he's eaten, it is haram. وَمَشْرَبُهُ حَرَامٌ And his drink is haram. وَمَلْبَسُهُ حَرَامٌ And his clothing is haram. وَغُذِيَ بِالْحَرَامٌ He's been nourished by haram. فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ لَهُ Then how? Can he be answered? Yani how can his dua be answered? This hadith here, its explanation by Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al Abbad is divided into four small parts. Four small parts. So, part number one, it is concerning the statement of Allah, of the Messenger, والسلام, that Allah is tayyib. That Allah is tayyib. And that he does not accept anything except what is tayyib. He doesn't accept anything except what is tayyib, what is good and pure. This indicates that from Allah's names is a tayyib. From Allah's names is a tayyib. And that he accepts those actions. That are characterized with being tayyib, that are tayyib, that are good, that are pure. And this is general concerning all actions. This is general concerning all actions. Allah doesn't accept any action except what is tayyib, what is good and pure. And this is all inclusive, including all actions. Among those actions, yes, is worship. Likewise, among those actions is your, your earnings. So therefore, a person, he shouldn't do anything except that it is good and pure and righteous. And he shouldn't earn anything except that it is good and pure. And he shouldn't spend anything except from what is good and pure. That's part number one. Part number two. It is concerning the statement of the Messenger والسلام, that Allah has ordered the believers with that which He has ordered the messengers. He has ordered the believers with that which He has ordered the, the messengers. And then He mentions those two ayat. So the messengers, السلام, they have been ordered by Allah they have been ordered by Allah to eat from the tayyibat. To eat from the goodly matters, the goodly 
food and drink that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided them with. And then likewise, He has ordered us to follow the messengers in that regard, to eat from the goodly matters, to eat from the goodly food, the pure food, the halal food, the halal drink that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us with. And therefore, when it's the case that the messengers have been commanded to eat from the good, pure food, and then when you get the good and the pure food, you pick up the good and the pure drink and you drink from it and you eat from it, then what are you doing? You are copying, you are following, you are imitating the best of human beings ever created, the prophets and the messengers. Likewise, the opposite also applies. The opposite applies as well. If it is the case that you are earning, your earnings are not tayyib. So what's the opposite of tayyib? The khabith, the wretched, the evil, the vile, the disgusting. If it is the case that your earnings aren't tayyib, then they are khabith. If it is the case that your food isn't tayyib, then your food is khabith, your drink is khabith, your dress is khabith, your, you're being nourished by khubth, by that which is not tayyib, by that which is impure. Okay, so if, you, if you're eating that which is tayyib, that which is good, then that means you're following the prophets and the messengers. So now the opposite. If you're eating that which is impure, then you're following who? The shayateen. For that reason, what do you say before you go into the toilet? Allahumma, oh Allah. A'udhu bika, I seek your protection. Min al wal khaba'ith. I seek protection in you from the khubth, from the impure and the khaba'ith, the impurities. And the devils. That which the devils put forth. So a person, if he's not following the messengers in that regard, then he's following the shayateen. And Allah Jalla is not going to accept anything of that from you. Your actions, your acts of worship, your earnings, none of that is going to be accepted. And look here, Allah has commanded the believers to eat from the tayyibat, to eat from the goodly food and drink and clothing that he's provided from you so if a person if a person he ends up abstaining from the tayyibat from the goodly matters the food the drink the clothing that Allah has made easily available for you if you keep away from that for no reason at all for no logical reasonable reason for no shari'i reason at all. There is no water in there. There is no piety in there. There is no zuhd. There is, you're not doing it out of zuhd. It, <coughs> there is no zuhd in there. There's no doubtful matter in there. You're abstaining from it, then you are not conforming to the way of the prophets and the messengers. The prophets and the messengers, they ate from the goodly food and drink that Allah Jalla made easily available to them. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, he, 
elucidates upon this point in his Jami' al-Ulumi wal-Hikm. For that reason, the companions, when they ended up conquering the different lands and riches came to them, money came to them, and the tayyibat, the good, goodly matters of fruit, of food, of drink, of clothing, was now easily available to them. Then they benefited from that. They didn't go into extremes in that regard. They were still people of zuhd. They weren't a people that became infatuated with the dunya. But that which was beneficial for them from these worldly matters of food and drink and clothing, they took it, emulating the messengers in that regard, not going in excess in that regard. A person, he knows, I need to eat greens, for example. I need to eat greens because I'm not digesting my food properly, for example. But then the person says, you know what, I'm going to keep away from broccoli, I'm going to keep away from spinach, I'm going to keep away from green beans, I'm going to keep away from all of these things. Why? Zuhud, ya akhi. Abstention. Even though you're going to end up huh, causing your insides to become clogged up and you're going to cause harm to yourself. This is not zuhud. Allah has made it easy for you. He's made these greens easy for you. So, kulu min tayyibat Eat from the goodly food that Allah has provided you with. Tayyib. Point number three. Part number three. That was part number two, sah? So now part number three. So now the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he makes a mention and he informs us of the fact that there's this man. He mentions a man who, yatilu safar ash'ath akhbar, to the end of the narration. After Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu has clarified to us that Allah will not accept, accept anything from us except that which is tayyib, what is pure and good, then he highlighted to us that there are amongst mankind those who go against this maslak, this way. And thus, this person is akal, he's eating isn't good. Rather, he ends up resorting to forms of eating and forms of drinking and forms of, of clothing and forms of nourishment that are, that are haram. That are haram. Either haram bidatiha, either haram in and of themselves. Or haram in the way that they acquire them. What do we mean by this? So, for example, Alcohol, khamar, wine, is haram in and of itself. A person, he drinks some khamar. Now he has, now his mashrab is haram. And he has nourished himself with haram. Or, water, is it haram? No, it's not haram. But a person steals the glass of water. He steals the, the water. Now that water is haram. So he steals that water, he drinks that water. The water in and of itself is halal. But he has acquired it via an impermissible way. And thus his mashrab, his drink has now become haram. And thus he is nourished with haram. So this person here whose drink is haram, his clothing is haram, his food is haram, he is nourished by haram. His flesh is nourished by haram. His bones nourished by haram. His blood nourished by 
haram. How can this person uh, expect for his dua to be answered? What we find here, what we find here from the statement of the Messenger والسلام, is that a dua, it has causes, factors, reasons that make it being answered more probable. There are causes that can make your dua be answered. There are factors and there are circumstances that if you were to implement them, then your dua will be answered. But at the same time, just as there are asbab, there are means and ways and methods that you can adopt to get your dua answered, then likewise, there are also asbab, we, uh, means and avenues that will block your dua from being answered, prevent and stop your dua from being answered. So here the Messenger والسلام, in this hadith, he makes a mention of examples, or he makes a mention of asbab, of ways and means and avenues via which your dua can be answered. He mentions five. Traveling. Being on a journey, being on a journey is a means by which your dua can be answered, especially if the journey is long. Especially, mother, if the journey is long. If the journey is long, then, the, then your dua is more likely to be answered. This man here that the messenger makes an example of, Yatilu Safar, he is having a long journey. So he has now, uh, uh, he has in his pocket, one of the asbab, one of the means via which his dua can be answered. Not just that, there's another one as well. Ashath, Akbar. His hair is disheveled and he's, uh, he's dusty. He's all dusty and disheveled. His clothes are going to be dusty. This is another means, another sabab, another cause of a person's dua being answered. Because when you are dusty, the one, that, the one that is dusty and his hair is disheveled and his clothes are like this, then he's the least person that you'd think that has any arrogance in him. He is the, he, you would think that he is the furthest away from kibriya and arrogance and pride. His, his garments are humble. His hair is humble. He's in a hum, humilified state. That's the second one. Third one. Ashat Akbar, Yamuddu Yadehi. Stretching out his hands. Stretching out your hands when you make dua, when you stretch your hands out towards the sky, that is what? That is you now displaying your iftiqar to Allah. Your need and your impoverished state before Allah. You are displaying to Allah, I am so much in need of you. I am nothing other than a debased slave. I am nothing other than a humble slave. You are my, you are my master and I am your servant. I am your slave and I am in need of you. And here is me. Physically making it manifest. I'm putting my hands up, stretching them out, raising them to the sky. And this is one of the greatest states of humility and humbleness. Here's another suburb. Number three, this man has 
combined, not just one. Is we've got up to number three, three asbab from the asbab of a person's du'a being answered. Three means by which a person's du'a is answered. When you put your hands up, you're humbling yourself. What else does this show? When you put your hands up and you pray to your Creator. Huh? Allah is above you, mashallah. That Allah Jalla wa'az is above the heavens. That Allah Jalla wa'az is above the heavens. So that's number three. Number four. Number four is a tawassul. A tawassul. Using the name of Allah, uh, interceding to Allah via His name. We're making tawassul to Allah via one of His names. We know a tawassul with the dead that are. Long and gone from the righteous ones, even though they may be. Tawassal through them, seeking, praying to Allah through the dead. It's something that is haram. It is something that is shirk. It is associating partners with Allah. The dead can't help you. However, one form from the forms of tawassal that is legislated and it is lofty and virtuous is what? Is making tawassal to Allah through his names. So you say, Ya Rahman, Irhamni. The fact that you used his name to say, have mercy upon me, that is a cause and a means of your dua being answered. You say, uh, 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 like in this context, Ya Rabbi, oh my Lord, use the name, Rabb, Lord, in order to call upon Allah Jalla wa'az, interceding to Allah Jalla wa'ala via that name, that is a means and a cause of your dua being Answered, did the man do that? Yes, made tawassul to Allah via one of his names. So how many asbab has he combined so far? Four, what's the first one? Traveling, long journey as well. Number two, dusty clothing and hair. Number three, raising his hands. Number four, mentioning the name of Allah. So making tawassul to Allah through his names. And likewise, the fifth one is Al-Ilhah. Ilhab. Imploring. He's not just asking. He is now begging and beseeching Allah. He's not just saying, Oh Allah, provide me. What does he say? Ya Rabbi. Ya Rabbi. Oh my Lord. Again, oh my Lord. This tikrar, this repetition indicates Al-Ilhah. Beseeching, begging, imploring. Five asbab that he has that he has combined. Five asbab, five ways and means that make it more likely for the dua to be answered. So this shows that there are avenues, there are asbab for istijabat ad dua. There are avenues for the dua to be answered. But now. Messenger والسلام, he also mentions to us some asbab which prevent the dua from being answered. Block the dua from being answered. Stop the dua from being answered. What are those asbab that his eating is haram, his drinking is haram, his clothing is haram, 
is nourished with haram, how can he ex expect expect uh, uh, expect for his dua to be answered? How can he expect his dua to be answered? This therefore shows that just as dua qaida, it's a principle. Dua, just as it has means and avenues for it to be answered, then likewise there are means and there are avenues for the for the dua not to be answered. Feed, his clothing, his feeding, his food, his drink is haram. Whether it is haram in and of itself, or it is haram in the manner in which he obtains it. So the food and drink, whether it is pork or wine or what have you, or carcass, haram in and of itself. Or the way that the person obtains it, he steals it. Or... He gets it through earnings. That's a haram. Earnings that he acquired. That were haram. Selling things that were haram, for example. He has an off license. He sells uh, uh, wine. Earnings are haram. He's a, he sells drugs. Yani narcotics. His earnings are haram. How can he expect his dua to be answered? Using those earnings... He purchases water, but the earnings were haram. And therefore, the ulama, they say, that fits into that category. But his feeding and his drinking is haram. Clothes. Clothes. A person, he wears clothes that are haram. He wears the clothes of a woman, for example. Or he wears the clothes that are specific to the disbelievers, for example, how does he expect his clothes to be? How does he expect his dua to be accepted? Or, for example, he wears clothes. He might wear trousers, shirt. And those trousers may not be Yani the garment of the trousers in and of, them, in and of themselves, sirwal, sirwal, in and of themselves, not impermissible, they are permissible. Sirwal, in and of themselves. However, when those sarawil, when those pants, those bottoms are tight, are extremely tight, sometimes you're speaking to somebody and you don't know where to look. Because the trousers that he is wearing, they are so tight that they end up showing his, his aura. And you don't know where to look because they are so tight. This as well. Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr, the one that is the son of the Sheikh who authored this book. Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr, he also made a commentary on this. And he says, this person here, who wears these tight trousers... And then he says, Ya Rabb, Ya Rabb. How does he expect his dua to be answered? Or he goes into salah. The one who goes into salah. And then he prays to Allah. How does he expect, expect his dua to be answered when his aura is being revealed? Or he might have baggy sarawil. Baggy, which is a separate discussion in and of itself. But let's just say, he's, so he's wearing baggy sarawil. He's wearing baggy trousers, baggy whatever you call it, whatever you want. But the shirt that he's wearing on top is 
short. It is very short. So now when he goes into ruku' or he goes into sujood, like it happens many a times, he goes into ruku', he goes into sujood and the the jeans, the baggy jeans, the trousers, the pants, the jogging bottoms, the whatever, they what? They slide, they slip off. And so part of his aura is being revealed. If he had a shirt that was longer, it would have covered that part of his aura. So therefore, how can he now? He goes into sujood. He says, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi, provide me with a child. Ya Rabbi, lift this musibah that is upon my head off me. And his aura is not even covered. His clothing isn't the clothing that is required for him to wear when he is in salah. And so on and so forth. So therefore, these things should start ticking in our brain and making us think about what we eat, what we drink, what we wear and what we earn. Because if we don't and we are complacent in that regard, then that could result in our dua not being answered. Part number four, part number four is a summary of the benefits concerning this hadith. And there are nine benefits. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll go over those nine benefits next week and we'll suffice with what we've covered today. And then we'll go into the 11th hadith as well next week, inshallah ta'ala, the hadith of the grandson of the Messenger, alayhi salatu salam, Al-Hassan ibn, ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhuma wallahu ta'ala alam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen